Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Day two of Roland Garros. Uh, a difficult day for any number of reasons, whether you're a player or a fan or a journalist. Um, in my case, obviously, the last one. Uh, because the weather was quite bad. Uh, I wasn't told this could happen in France. I was reliably informed that spring in Paris is always lovely. Uh, apparently, this can happen. It can sometimes rain and sometimes play is difficult to get going. Uh, yeah, we had sort of three big sections of rain, one in the morning, uh, one in the afternoon, and then one that ended play for the day, I think around quarter to nine, um, albeit you wouldn't have got a huge amount of play after that time anyway, but it means that there's going to be a lot of play on Wednesday, the order of play is really cramped. Um, I felt like he got a good feel for Roland Garros today, uh, I had to go over to Simon Mathieu, which is just one of the most amazing courts, if you ever get the chance to go to Roland Garros, um, then do go over to uh, Simon Mathieu because it's it's the sm- smaller court. You know, it's smaller than Longlain or Chatrier, but it is set in a. I mean, it's set in a rainforest. That's the only way of putting it. On each back of each stand, there are these big greenhouses full of um, rainforest, basically, um, and. To get there, you walk from from where Chatrier is and through a bit of the grounds and then through a sort of botanical garden past the orangery. It really is amazing. It's like going to the botanical gardens at Kew or in Valleith in Edinburgh or wherever you might um, have them. It it really is quite remarkable. So I, I spent quite a lot of time wandering, not because I was, you know, wasting time, because I was running from... Media Centre to Mathieu, where, where Norrie was playing, and then later where Raducanu was playing. So yeah, it was quite a day of getting about the site and seeing different bits of it. It made me realise as well how much there is going on at Roland Garros. I always feel with Wimbledon, there are a lot of courts and a lot of tennis, but because of the size of the site, you know, it's quite cramped, there's not much room, there isn't a lot going on. You know, there's Henman Hill, but really you can just sit on that. Um, there's the odd PIM stand, but you're just paying for drinks, and there's always a huge queue. At Roland Garros, I walked past a three-piece band this morning 
There was a brass band in the afternoon. There's lots of deck chairs out where you can watch the big screen, which I guess is just Hemant Hill, but in another form. Um, lots of different um, kind of games and things going on that you could have a go at. Different sponsor stands. It just felt a little bit more like what I always feel Grand Slam should be, which is kind of the Glastonbury of tennis. You know, it should be a real mecca for people, and especially for kids. And, and Roland Garros are very good at, you know, their kids' day is a really big deal before the tournament starts. It really should be the kind of event that you can come to as a kid and just absolutely fall in love with tennis. I think it's really important that there are those opportunities for, for kids, and to be fair, and adults. We want adults to fall in love with tennis as well. And Lord knows, not everyone who comes to these tennis events will arrive as a massive tennis fan. But uh, hopefully they'll leave us one. I think Roland Garros does a good job of that. Um, it was nice as well to go and sit on some of the courts uh, that I hadn't been to before. Uh, there's an amazing view on Susan Longlen because where the media seats are is right behind basically one of the servers. I mean, you are, you, you know, you're next to the player's box. You couldn't have a better view. Uh, so I was there for Osaka and Samova, which I'll talk about a bit more. Uh, in the main podcast so if you're only watching this on video diary and instagram then you have to subscribe to the podcast to hear about the real tennis stuff uh, and if you're listening on the podcast then we'll talk a bit more tennis next let's talk tennis shall we uh since we've talked enough me and practicalities and being me uh, it's just me this evening because it's just past two o'clock in the morning local time here in paris george and calvin are well tucked up with cocoa, um, or not, I don't know, uh, the drink that is not, anyway, less of that, more of tennis, uh, yeah, as I say, it's been quite a busy day here, although not as busy as it could have been because of the rain, but because of what was said, it has been quite busy, more of that in a moment, I started off the day uh, with Osaka and Samova, which was clearly the the pick of of the first round matches, now, some people will have said that it was scheduled wrongly. It was on at 11 o'clock in the morning, local time in Paris. It was on Susan Longlen, which is obviously the second biggest court in uh, Roland Garros. I think what's important to note is, and Osaka mentioned this herself afterwards, um, that her time she plays is almost based, almost always, or often at least, based on what time it is in Japan. Um, so she said, you know, I always know that I play quite early here, like like Kay always plays, Kay Nishikori, that is, always plays early here too. Um, so I think she was pretty ambivalent about it. There were some suggestions that a lot of the women's matches were on early and the men's weren't. I don't doubt that the scheduling has a pretty sexist element to it at times. Um, the or Some tournament organisers are more blatant about it than others. Um, but I think in this case, you know, Naomi, as she says, is really kind of geared towards the Japanese market. Um, they will have been disappointed to see the result. Uh, she was, of course, beaten 7-5-6-4 by Amanda Anasimova. But I think they will have been encouraged by the performance from Osaka. I think she showed, in a way that I've not really seen before from her, a really excellent rally resistance and, and defence, which you know is something that we haven't always considered or, or associated with uh, Naomi Osaka's game. She is someone who's known for having a big serve, for hitting incredibly purely from the baseline. But in Amanda Anisimova, she comes up against someone who is similarly good from the baseline, who her serve is different, but it is effective. 
Uh, and so it was a pretty big challenge for her to try and go up against her. Of course, they had already played even this year um, back at the Australian Open, uh, an incredibly tight game that went to uh, a final set tiebreaker, which, of course, Anasimova came through uh, 10-5 in the third round there. Um, what was notable about that match and what was really notable about this one was Anasimova's returning of the Osaka first serve. Now, Osaka did not make a lot of first serves. Her percentage, I think, was potentially 50% or 46% in the first set, I should say. But even when she did make first serve, Anasimova was seeing it so well, whether because she was predicting it. The court was a bit heavy, you know, there was moisture in the air, and so it wouldn't have been at its quickest by any stretch. But she was just mullering the ball, even off first serve. And Osaka, as I say, because she defended so well, would often find a way to win the point anyway. But, you know, if you're doing that off first serve, you're going to be doing it off second serve a lot as well. Um, and she certainly did as much. As far as Osaka's demeanour, we talk a lot about her mental health on court um, and how much she's enjoying it, especially at the French, given what's gone before. I thought she looked re relatively relaxed out there. I'm not going to say really relaxed because it's a tense moment and, and she wasn't. But she seemed to enjoy it. She seemed to enjoy the crowd, which eventually, by the time we got to kind of halfway through the first or even the beginning of the second set, was nearly full. Um, I don't think she enjoyed playing Anasimova. She's a blooming hard girl to beat, as plenty of people have found out this year. And she's one of the tour's form players on clay. She obviously got to the semi-final in Charleston, and then I think quarter-finals in Madrid and Rome. So you know, she's not messing around. Um, and yeah, I think she really proved a lot today as well. You know, Osaka threw a decent amount at her. I don't think the Achilles was too problematic for her. She said she felt it a bit in the second set and and had a bit of a stretch, but um, it, it was significant that Naomi Osaka said afterwards that she hadn't really served in training because she was concerned about the Achilles and she wanted to protect that a bit. But I would suggest that that was kind of um, precautionary rather than preventative, really. And actually, based on what she said about the match itself, it probably wasn't necessarily much of a hindrance. Um, I did think Osaka was a little tentative on second serve sometimes, but because of exactly when that was happening, you know, in the first set, I think she double faulted twice on break point. You know, that suggests it's not necessarily a physical issue, although there is like a, a mental kind of um, uncertainness there as well. But what she said afterwards probably made more news than what she did during the match. Um, kind of out of nowhere, and I don't know whether she meant to talk about it or, or whatever, but she did say um, that she basically was considering and was most likely uh, not to play Wimbledon, which, as you can imagine, especially in the uh, British press pack, raised quite a few eyebrows. Um, she's obviously, you know, the grass isn't her strongest surface. She knows that. Um, we know that. It's not a secret. But to say that she was, uh, and she said this in, in the Japanese portion of her press conference, which, so she, she now answers, she has the question asked in Japanese from the Japanese journalist, but then she answers in English, which is great for someone like me because I don't speak Japanese, so I can just go in and listen. Um, she says, I haven't make, made the decision yet, but I'm leaning more towards not playing Wimbledon given the current circumstances. But, you know, that might change. Um she said the reason she explained was 
She said, well, like, for me, I'm not sure why, but, like, I feel if I play Wimbledon without points, it's more like an exhibition. I know this isn't true, right? But my brain just, like, feels that way. Whenever I think something is like an exhibition, I just can't go at it 100%. Um, she said, I think if I don't end up playing on the grass this year, I really want to go hard on the hardcore swing, which is kind of obvious because that is her no real wheelhouse. Uh I'm going to have to have some meetings about it. But she did say that she was more likely than not to miss Wimbledon um, over the ranking points, really, rather than anything else, uh, which is pretty big. You know, she said she's sort of the type of person who is motivated by seeing her ranking rise. Um, I'd love to go to Wimbledon just to get some experience on the grass, but at the same time, I don't want to say it's pointless, but, you know, I'm the type of player who gets motivated by seeing my ranking go up. So, Really interesting because she's the first player to really break cover on this. Um, Lucas Puy had said in a French newspaper, L'Equipe, uh, in the morning uh, of that match, so Monday morning, that he didn't want to go play Wimbledon because there were no ranking points involved. Um, with the greatest respect to Lucas Puy, I think the tournament will survive without him. You know, he's the world number 162 at the moment, I think. Um, has been top 10, in fairness, and... I know George uh, rates him as a player, uh, not necessarily at the moment, but certainly sort of in general terms. Um, so, but, you know, really, it needed someone like an Osaka to come out and say something. Otherwise, it really wasn't going to make many headlines. I can assure you, as I was trying to write a Lucas Puy headline, as the Osaka quote broke. Uh, so, I, um, yeah, I, I know how hard it would have been just to, to lead that on, on Lucas Puy. Um, there were a few other kind of players talking about it. I mean, because Osaka was speaking during the rain break, she was also one of the first players into press because she played first. Um, everyone got asked about it and everyone wrote about it. Um, Novak Djokovic, I guess, is the most significant. He He's going to lose 2,000 points. Um, well, I mean, he, he pointed out that on a personal level, without getting a chance to play and defend my 4,000 points, I'm going to drop in this year because he's talking about Australia and Wimbledon. So, of course, on a personal individual level, I've been very negatively affected by that. But I've been speaking with management and the president of the ATP and some of the council members in the last few days. I think collectively I'm glad that players got together with the ATP governing body of men's tennis and showed to the Grand Slams that when there is a mistake happening, as there was from Wimbledon's side, then we have to show there is going to be some consequence so I support the players, unification always. I've always done that. I will always do that. And of course, it's up to Wimbledon or the LTA, whoever's making that decision, to make that decision. Um, I think what's significant about that is Djokovic talks a lot about the players having been consulted and having had a say. That isn't what I've heard from most other players over the last couple of days. Certainly in the WTA, a lot of players I've spoken to say they weren't consulted or didn't feel their views were heard. Um I've seen one or two male players say the same kind of thing. So, you know, I wonder whether Novak feels that he's had a say and maybe some of his players in the otherwise silent PTPA have had a say, but it doesn't feel to me like that's the majority view. Um, he also mentioned something that, that could have wider repercussions. Um, I didn't know, for example, a few days ago, I found out there was a document of recommendation from the English government towards the Oregon Club where they had several options there was not only one on the table. They didn't discuss it with anybody from the ATP or any individual players, for that matter, Russian or Belarusian, to just communicate and understand where there is common ground, where both sides could be making a compromise and something could work out. I, I don't quite understand what he's saying there because I know that 
the All England club did reach out to um, a number of Russian and Belarusian players. Andrei Rublev has talked about that meeting. Um, whether he means he didn't, they didn't offer them all different options. I know that the All England club did consider several options, and they decided that none of them was valid for what they were trying to do. So you know, you can't criticise them for not choosing an option they didn't think worked. But um, yeah, Novak gave a pretty lengthy answer to that, and I can't read all of it. But um, yeah, I guess it's worth tracking down. Um, I'm going to be trying to tweet it, some of it, off the uh, Love Tennis Pod Twitter account. Um, but yeah, that that is going to be a runner, as we call it, or as we used to call it in, in newspapers. It's a story that will keep running and run and run. People will keep getting asked about it. I don't really know where Wimbledon go from here. I don't think there's going to be mass dropouts, uh, because Osaka really is the only player in the top 100 on either side, I think, so far, who has said she won't go. Um, and frankly... Naomi Osaka doesn't have to defend any points from Wimbledon because she wasn't there last year um, and wouldn't exactly have been favourite to go and win lots of points because she doesn't historically have a great record on grass. So maybe it's not a huge surprise that she in particular um, is going to pull out. I'm not saying that she's doing it, you know, for entirely cynical reasons. Uh, you know, she's she's been quite clear about how she just doesn't think she'll be that up for it. Um It'll be interesting to see if anyone follows in her footsteps. Moving on, um, Iga Shrontek was in action today. She absolutely slaughtered Lesia Tsarenko. Um, she dropped two games overall. Uh, it was just carnage, really, which is what you'd expect from the 30 games unbeaten or so, uh, world number one. Well, 29 games, exactly. I don't know why I said also. I know the exact number. Um, she just looks pretty glorious at the moment she's playing brilliant tennis it's hard to see who can even get close to her um but she was also kind of inevitably asked about Wimbledon um she kind of sat on the fence a bit um which is her right of course um and I and I know that a lot of players will will take that view of just saying look I hope that we get to the right decision but I'm going to go and play um I don't think that's a surprise really it's obviously complicated at the best of times and most players, especially after the pandemic, kind of just want to get on and play tournaments in as normal a way as they possibly can. Um, I don't know how much more there is to say about Iga Shontek because I've yet to see a chink in her armour. Maybe I should say more about the game, which really was one of the matches of the day. Emma Raducanu against Linda Noskova. Um, Linda Noskova, for people who don't know her, she's 17 years old. She's Czech. Uh, yet another one off the Czech factory line of brilliant players. And she won junior Roland Garros last year. Um, she then came through qualifying this year. She beat the number 11 seed Blinkover, I believe, um, in the first round of qualifying and then made it through the next two rounds uh, to qualify for the tournament. And she came out in the first round and I she just smoked it all over the court. I mean, she needed a tiebreak to win the first set because um, she was a little nervy on serve. But from the baseline, I mean, the flat, pure hitting... I know it's only one match, and you can never really tell from one match how far someone's going to go, but she really does feel like a player who's got a big future ahead of her, um, just from the way she hit the ball in that first set. I think she hit uh, 40 winners across the first two sets. Um, she had a fair few unforced errors as well, but it was more than enough for Raducanu, really. Um, she got well ahead, she got a break-up in the second, and then in the words of Raducanu, she said, well, if I'm going to lose, I might as well lose trying to do something, and and she kind of 
in turn flattened out the ball a bit and started hitting it a bit harder. Um, she had, you know, it was raining for quite a lot of the first set and Raducanu had been trying to hit the ball pretty spinny and in those conditions, it's just not going to work. The ball's not going to spit up off the surface. The balls get quite fluffed up quite quickly. Um, it was cold, it was claggy, it was heavy. You know, there were conditions where you want to hit the ball flat and hard rather than, you know, trying to play the kind of big spin game. I think she did work that out. Um, that's not why she ran out a six seven seven five six one winner, you know, so dominant in that last set. Really, and she admitted this um, as well, the conditions did get better and that helped. It got a little bit warmer, the clouds cleared up, the rain stopped and she began to run away with it. Um, nevertheless, keep an eye out for Linda Noskova. Um, it'll be really interesting to see what she does on the basis of those performances. Um, as for Raducanu, yeah, probably feeling a little bit more comfortable on clay. She didn't look comfortable today because it weren't they weren't comfortable conditions. If you're not great at sliding on clay, I imagine going out and playing in those conditions where the clay is heavy, it's um, a little bit more unpredictable because it's had rain on it and it's harder to slide on and you're already not quite the best slider in the world. Yeah, that's going to make life, I think, a lot harder. So she's through. She plays Alexandra Sastovich of Belarus in the next round, um, who, of course, beat her in India Wells uh, really quite well, as I recall. Um, there was an interview with her, which you'll maybe read uh, in Tuesday's, uh, Wednesday's papers, I should say, or on the websites on Tuesday night, uh, talking a bit more about that. She's beaten 6-2-6-4 in Indian Wells. I think she will think that she has moved her game on quite a lot since then. So one of those good acid tests for her progress. Um, Novak Djokovic played tonight. Uh, that's what he was speaking afterwards. Uh, as Calvin and I predicted, he absolutely mullered uh, Yoshihito Nishioka. I bet my dinner... Uh, with a colleague that he would do it in less than two hours he did it uh, in exactly two hours and since we didn't agree exactly what the line was we've called it a push so tomorrow night's dinner gonna be a much bigger deal um he only dropped four games there was an unusual moment in the second set when Novak won a point and gave it a big roar and fist pump and got a sort of boo off the Parisian crowd um which I thought was bizarre it just Booing a guy for getting excited, and of course, when he won the next point to break serve, uh, he gave it an even bigger and louder roar, um, which then drew more boos and jeers. I don't know, boozed up relatively late night crowd. You know, I mean, that was that would have been half nine local time by then because night tennis doesn't start till ten to nine. Um, so yeah, maybe don't read too much into that. But Novak marches on. Uh, he doesn't know his second round opinion, uh, opponent yet because. Alex Molkan uh, is still waiting to start his match with Federico Correa, but um, that will hopefully get completed tomorrow. When we hope for a bit better weather, um, there are a few decent matches on the schedule. I think the pick is the night tennis. It's Stefano Tsitsipas up against Lorenzo Mazzetti. I think that's very much worth watching. It'll be 7.45pm your time uh, on Discovery Plus, obviously, or Eurosport depending on your particular console or preferred way of watching or whatever you do. I actually quite end up watching on Eurosport quite a lot because I just VPN it from uh, from Paris. Um, plenty of other things to watch tomorrow. Joe Wilford Songer's playing Kasper Ruud in what could be Songer's last ever game as a professional. Um, Daniil Medvedev makes his debut in this year's tournament. We'll see what shape he's in after hernia surgery not that long ago. 
Um, Simona Halep also entering the draw. She's someone who might be fancied to go quite deep this week. Yannick Sinner, Daria Kasatkina, two players I think have got a chance. Um, maybe not of winning it, but certainly of doing some damage and making their way into the second week. So loads to watch out for tomorrow. We will, of course, be back. I might have George, I might have Calvin, I might have neither. I might have both, but what I will have is my microphone and you. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.